0: Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm glad you're listening this morning. Well, get ready for the second part of Dr. Edgar Andrews' presentation titled Atheism's Logical Cul-de-Sac. He recently gave this presentation, and he's been on the show before. He emailed me and said, if you'll like this presentation, go ahead and air it. I liked it, so we're airing it. If you missed last week's show, go to godsolutionshow.com and check it out. But this week, he'll be finishing up that presentation, and it's going to be great. So get ready to hear Dr. Edgar Andrews, world-renowned physicist who's debated Dawkins and other atheists, talking about atheism's logical cul-de-sac. Here he is.
1: We move on to the atheist Dawkins, and that is, well, okay, the universe had to beginning. It had a creation. It was created. But we're not going to accept that there is a spiritual being equal God who created it. We're not, we're not going to allow that idea a foot in the door of our atheism. So what's left? Well, what's is left is that the universe must create itself. There's no other answer. Because the universe, by definition, consists of Everything there is that is of a physical uh, and a material nature. Now, let me read you a short statement from this book. Stephen Hawking, now I think most people know who he is, a very famous cosmologist, and he is familiar to, I'm sure, everyone in this room, as the man who suffers from motor neurone disease, and who is seen on television sitting in his motorized wheelchair speaks with a synthesized voice. A, a most remarkable man and a very gifted scientist. But he is an atheist. And he has come up with certain ideas and theories uh, which are reflected in this paragraph. I'm going to read the whole paragraph to you. Um, <coughs> this book, by the way, uh, published in 2010 by Stephen Hawking, it's called The Grand Design, and it is, he has a co author, um, a man called Leonard Bolodovich, no, Bolodinov, no, the Polish name, I'm sorry, not very good at pronouncing Polish names, Bolodinov. And uh, the authors make this statement <clears throat> because gravity shapes space and time, it allows space time, space hyphen time, that is the four-dimensional continuum of three dimensions of space and one of time. It allows space-time to be local stable, but globally unstable. On the scale of the the entire universe, the positive energy of the matter in the universe can be balanced by the negative gravitational energy. And so there is no restriction on the creation of whole universes. Because, and this is really the point you need to take on board, because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing in the manner described in chapter 6. Now if you go back to chapter 6, <coughs> it doesn't really describe any such thing, but still, it's a separate issue. Spontaneous creation is the reason that there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why will it exist? It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper and set the universe going, Because there is a law like gravity, <coughs> the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Now, you say, do we need to take any notice of not such crazy ideas. Well, the day this was published, it immediately went to the number one best seller on the New York Times uh, book list. And it, I don't know how many copies it sold, but it sold it hundreds of thousands of copies all over the world. People do take notice of this kind of thing. Well, how does he say the universe created itself? <coughs> well, what he's saying is this, that the universe was created by the laws of nature but because there was a law like gravity you have to be careful there because the gravity he's appealing to is negative gravity, a gravity that drives things apart rather than attracts them together Um, but he doesn't uh, pause to admit that anyway, because there is a law like gravity the other laws to which he appeals are the laws um, uh, of the very minute the uh, order of quantum mechanics the laws that govern the very, very tiny objects and he puts these two together and he says these two laws or laws like the laws that we understand and, and study today had the power to create a universe uh, the fluctuation and I do have to go back a step here <coughs> uh, because when he uses the word nothing these laws could and did, he said, create the universe from nothing. When he uses the word nothing, he's being a little less than honest. Because what he's talking about is the nothingness of a vacuum in space. Alright? So if you ever did science at school, you had a bell jar and pumped all the air up and would produce a vacuum in the bell jar and uh, you would certain experiments to show that sound couldn't travel through it and so on. Anyway, you can produce a vacuum. Uh, you can remove all the atoms and the molecules from space. <coughs> and you have the ultimate vacuum, but the ultimate vacuum is not nothing. I'm sure you read about and heard about and probably wondered about the discovery of the Higgs boson some couple of years ago now. <coughs> uh, the Higgs boson is a, a mm. fundamental particle that had been predicted to exist but nobody could find a trace of it until uh, the high energy um, atomic collider uh, came up with evidence that the Higgs boson did actually exist. Now the idea is and, and uh, Professor Peter Higgs uh, won the Nobel Prize, uh, prize uh, um, recently uh, for this discovery. The Higgs boson it is thought to be like a veritable swarm of particles that fill a vacuum. You may have taken all the atoms and the molecules and the electrons and, and the uh, known particles out, but still the whole vacuum is filled with a swarm of Higgs bosons or Higgs particles. Call them the God particle for some reason. You quite know why. And it is. When another particle tries to force its way through this crowd of Higgs bosons, that it makes resistance and therefore acquires what we know as mass. The fact that a a proton, a hydrogen atom, has mass, it weighs something, uh, is attributed to the fact that it finds it difficult to make its way through the Higgs particles in a vacuum. Well, whether that's true or not, uh, I am personally not. Uh, sure, not convinced, but nevertheless that is the current theory. Now this vacuum, therefore, that uh, Stephen Hawking is talking about, is not nothing. If it's full of Higgs bosons, it's not nothing. If it occupies space, it's not nothing. Because a true nothing, the nothing that must have existed before space and time came into being, is the absence of space, the absence of time, as well as the absence of matter. And energy. so it's really very dishonest. And, and Stephen Hawking, not the only person, there are other people writing books about the same thing, same kind of thing, The Universe from Nothing. And um, I forgot his name for a moment. Um, uh, Recently, have written a more recent book called A, uh, a Universe from Nothing. And um, Lawrence Krauss, that's his name, the author's name, Lawrence Krauss. Uh, These people are saying that that the universe can be created by the laws of science, by the laws of nature, from nothing, but they are not actually starting with nothing. They are starting with a vacuum. But now let's ask a question. What is a law of nature? What do we mean by a law of nature? Like the law of gravity or the the laws of thermodynamics that tell us how heat flows and, and, and so on laws of optics the way light behaves these these are laws of nature but what do we mean when we call them laws of nature do we not mean and I believe this is the only legitimate definition of a law of nature do we not mean that it is a scientific description of the way the universe behaves it's a description of the way the universe works now if you don't have a universe you can't have laws of nature because you've got nothing to describe. And so to say that the laws of nature created the universe is, first of all, uh, a, a very illogical statement. But the laws of nature don't exist if there is no universe for <laughs> them to describe. But let's suppose, you see, we, we must have a certain sympathy, and i not being fattile here, a certain sympathy with the atheist. <coughs> Here he is, he has now had to admit that the universe had a beginning. But of course he's not willing to admit of any spiritual creator, not willing to admit of any spiritual reality that lies behind the origin of the universe. And so where can he look for the origin of the universe? Well, since by definition, if you exclude uh, non-physical, non-material things, like spiritual things like God, if you exclude those you've got nothing left but the universe and so they have to find a way in which the universe could create itself and they do that by saying well, <clears throat> the laws of nature created the universe therefore they must have pre-existed the universe if they were to create it and that of course is a serious problem for them Let's suppose they're right. Let's suppose that the laws of nature were somehow in place before the universe existed so they could create that universe. That's what they're claiming. That's what they're claiming. That's what they say is true. Let's suppose they're right. Where were those laws before there was a universe? Now, I don't know whether any of you have ever bought a house of plants. Uh, If you buy a house off plan, it means you buy the house, or you at least commit yourself to buy the house legally, before the house exists. Uh, You have plans, an architect's plans, and you agree with the architect, perhaps exactly how the house should be laid out internally, and uh, you enter into a contract, and eventually, if you're lucky, the house gets built. The plans existed before the house existed. But the plans didn't exist in the ether. Where were the plans? Well, you they we were on, on the blueprint, mm-hmm. on paper. Uh, but of course, there, there is, is no blueprint, there is no paper uh, before material, before the material, material existence of the material universe. So they couldn't be on paper. Where else are the plans if you are of plan house? In the mind of the architect the only other place they can be. They're either in some material form, they're either imprinted upon some medium, either recorded in some um, some compassion by a a medium, or they are in a mind. now, by definition, there is no medium, no physical medium, uh, for those laws of nature to exist before the universe comes into being. And therefore, the only possible explanation of why laws could exist before the universe they create comes into being is that those laws must be in someone's mind. There is a mental entity out there that is not part of the physical universe. There is something, someone like Christians at least called God. And it seems to me that the logic of these arguments and and you'll be very patient have taken you through them uh, the way logically is that this argument and uh, these three arguments drives the atheist to a position where he must admit the existence the pre-existence before the universe came into being before there was space or time he must admit the existence of <coughs> a mind in which the laws of nature were written into And that can only be a spiritual entity because by definition everything of the material uh, and physical nature is in the universe which doesn't yet exist. These laws must exist somewhere. They must exist in the mind of a spiritual, that is a non-material being. And, And so it seems to me that the arguments that the atheists are using here drive them to a conclusion that there must be a God, or something very like God. But there's more to it than that. The third argument, the third argument, is that man made God. Okay, remember that? All the way back at the beginning of the, the, the lecture, remember the, the argument that God didn't make a we invented God for our own uh, comfort and for our own benefit, our own purposes, mankind invented God. But listen, those laws of nature that Logically, the atheists must agree exist in the mind of a spiritual entity. Those laws of nature are mathematical. That's a very important point. I didn't have time to develop it, but the laws of nature are essentially mathematical. Now, where do you find mathematics? If you don't dig them out of the ground, and they don't grow on trees. Mathematics are a product of the mind of man. If you're an earwing or an elephant, then mathematics mean nothing to you. The only thing you're interested in, or the thing you're most interested in, is where the next meal is coming from. But if you're a human being, if you're a human being, you have the capacity to understand mathematics. I know for many of us it's very hard, but nevertheless, we can do it. It's within the capability, capacity of man to understand mathematics. And one of the most amazing things, and it has amazed scientists down the ages, is the fact that the, the laws of nature are mathematical. They can be formulated as equations and stated as mathematical constructs. And yet they are the product of man's mind. Now, if the laws of nature resided in the mind of God, as I believe is logically. Necessary and logical consequence of the very arguments the atheists uses. if the laws of nature uh, reside in the mind of God and if the laws of nature are mathematical then God was a mathematician before human beings ever existed so did we make God or did God make us? I think there can be only one answer to that question God made yes. us and this of course is, is exactly what the Bible states God said let us make man in our image our own image we are made according to the Bible according to the teaching of the Old Testament the book of Genesis mankind is created uniquely all the creatures of this earth mankind is created in the image of God and since we know that God is spirit doesn't have a physical body uh, we're obviously not talking about a physical image I'm not saying that God has hands and feet and eyes and ears like we have he is not a physical being God is spirit and those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth that said the Lord Jesus Christ to the woman at the well uh, uh, in Samaria at those laws of nature abide exist of their being, have their origin in the mind of God. We are mathematicians. Some of us are these. We are mathematicians because we are made in the image of God. It's not just that the mathematical image is the moral image and it's the, the image of self-knowledge, the thing we were talking about, the little child, where did I come from? Uh, we are personalities because God is a personality that uh, we have this persona because God has a persona. Uh, we have a moral awareness, which the animals do not have, uh, because God is a moral being and we are made in His moral image. But uh, we have all kinds of mental facilities that the animals generally do not possess uh, because we are made in the image of a spiritual being, in the image of God. And so once again, it seems to me, just restricting that to the mathematical argument, uh, it is quite obvious that we did not invent God, but that God, was the original mathematician. Otherwise the laws of nature could not have been mathematical. We didn't invent the mathematical nature, the, uh, the mathematical character of the laws of nature. They were there before we ever existed as a human race. Well then, there was one Logic drives us. <clears throat> you ought to drive the thinking atheist to the same conclusion that there is a God. That God is the creator of the universe. And that God is the creator of man. Now, there are <coughs> people who call themselves deists who agree that oh, God created everything, created the universe, created the world, uh, but then he lost interest in it. and He doesn't get involved in the things of this world of life you possibly come across this. It's not very common these days, but nevertheless, uh, it was popular at one time. Uh, the idea that God was a great clockmaker, <coughs> a great watchmaker, watch who designed the watch, and intricate workings of the universe, and wound it up and just put it down and walked away. Well, that's deism. But again, I don't believe that there is a logical consistency about that. Because why would God do that? Why would God create man in His own image if He had no continuing or ongoing interest in mankind? But it will be (laughs) one other thing. I really am very close to the end of my talk now. When the Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, reached the city of Athens. Uh, he was invited by the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers of Athens to address them in their debating chamber, which happened to be on the top of the hill, called Mars Hill on the Areopagus. You can go there today. It's uh, a very, very low hill But they went up there. They sat around and they talked. And this is what the Apostle Paul said to them. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, is this hill, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an author with this inscription, To the unknown God. (coughs) Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing that he, he gives to all life and breath and all things, and has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, quotes, we are also his offspring, close quote. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, or something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. They never did, by the way. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. In him we live and know and have our being. He gives to all life and breath and all things. He has ordained the, the, the times and the bounds of habitation of human beings, of the nations. God is very interested in this work. So interested that we have our existence, we live out our existence in His presence. He's not far from every one of us. He is He is here. here. He is here. He is, he is present. As we walk down the high street and do our shopping, as we wash the dishes, God is present. We live and know we have our existence in Him. And if that is the case, if Paul is right, then we owe allegiance to this God. If he gives us the very breath that we draw, we owe him our worship. Worship is the ascription, ultimate value. Furthermore, and I'm going to develop, I'm going to preach on that passage tomorrow morning for those of you who have been here. Furthermore, (coughs) he speaks of judgment. We are going to have to answer individually to God for the way we have spent the life that he gave us. That is the implication. And none of us ought to be looking forward to that occasion unless we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And who died upon the cross to bear the sin of all who call upon him of all who look to him for salvation of whom whom are that number that Jesus Christ calls his sheep and of whom he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me the person who is trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross for our salvation is a person who does not need to fear standing at the judgment bar of God but if we have not so trusted Christ we remember (coughs) that this God in whom we live and move and have our being who gives everything to us even the very breath we draw is going to demand an answer one day let us bear that in mind it's a solemn thought and let us think let us consider these matters, we started with science we started with the atheist' ideas and beliefs and theories and arguments, we finish up with a person called Jesus Christ a person who came into this world to save those who have sinned and rebelled against God, God. that's a, uh, an interesting finishing point considering the point at which we started thank you for your attention thank you for your patience
0: I hope you enjoyed everything that Dr. Andrews had to say, and he is correct that all of this comes back to Jesus. The Bible says that God loves you, but that you and I are sinful and separated from God because of our sin. The Bible says that Jesus, God in human flesh, lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for your sin and mine, so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Him can be forgiven. I would ask you this morning, if you've never done it before, to put your faith and trust in Christ, surrendering your life to Him as Savior and Lord. You can go to God's Solution Show to get last week's and this week's discussion with Dr. Edgar Andrews on atheism's logical cul-de-sac. It was a great show. I hope you'll check it out at God'solutionshow.com. Anyway, you can also look up local churches that you could visit this morning while you're there. I would also love to invite you to the last Connect of the year in Noble Hall 125 this Tuesday at 6 p.m. Again, that's this Tuesday, Noble Hall 125 at 6 p.m. It's going to be a great time, and I hope you'll join us. Well, every week I close with a statement. I say an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And I believe that with all of my heart. I pray that you'd come to him this morning if you don't know him already. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.